Welcome to the School for Healthcare Entrepreneurs, the only podcast that provides actionable insights into the healthcare industry. Brought to you by Emitter, the leading communication platform for your healthcare business. Hey everyone, welcome to yet another exciting episode of School for Healthcare Entrepreneurs. My name is Anmol and I'm the co-founder of Emitter, a patient engagement and a call center platform for healthcare businesses. Today we have with us a leader from the eye care industry who's a champion at cultivating B2B relationships and not just that, she's, she also has experience in operations, sales and marketing. We have with us Shay Oliver, who's one of the directors of marketing at iSouth Partners and she's here to talk about her journey of wearing multiple hats, being hands-on and solving many different problems from first principles. Thanks a lot, Shay, for being on part of the podcast. No, first and foremost, I want to start off with thanking you for having me on your podcast and allowing me the opportunity to speak with you and your listeners. And, you know, as Enmal said, my name is Shay Oliver. I am a director of marketing for iSouth Partners, which is a management services organization that currently oversees 22 ophthalmic practices across the Southeast. Wow. Great. No, I'm, I'm, uh, the, the pleasure is on mine. And uh, uh, if, I, if I clearly remember the first conversation that we had, it was such, an, it was such a humbling experience for me, uh, learning from your experience and, and all the different things that you've done. Um, to me, it was very clear. I definitely want to have you on the podcast because I knew that there's so much value that you can add to the audience and to the show itself. Um, so, so uh, Shape, jumping right in, would, would love to understand how did you come into the industry? Can you tell us where it all started and, and you know, what made you realize that you're, part, you're, you're essentially keen to be part of this industry? Well, it, it's a funny story. I, I believe I was roughly 18 years old um, and I was working in the retail industry as an assistant manager. And I hired an individual who actually worked as an ophthalmic technician for her day job. And I remember asking a lot of questions about her day to day because, in my opinion, it seemed so much more appealing than what I was doing. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love the interaction that I was able to receive while I was working in retail. I loved the customer service aspect and I loved the elements of operations that I was involved in. Um, but I also knew that that job, even at 18, was a stepping stone to open doors to a new, more fulfilling job. And so after weeks of pestering this person about their job, um, they finally asked me if I wanted to apply to be an ophthalmic technician within their organization. And so I was pretty excited, but I also knew that it would be a challenge because I had no clinical training. And I still moved forward kind of hesitantly with a little bit of uh, apprehension of going into an interview and basically studied everything that I could between the day that I found out I could have the interview and the day of the interview. And I'll, I'll also say this, as, as many of you listeners and animal, you know, um, and, and I know this has been referenced by a few of your past po podcast guests as well, um, right. the healthcare industry is a very difficult industry to get into without experience. And Absolutely. so I was kind of going up against that challenge. And 
um, I basically went into the interview and the interviewer who happened to be the practice manager for a very large ophthalmic practice was not very keen on hiring me. It, basically, by the end of the interview, he, he pretty much told me that he liked me, he liked my personality, but he needed someone with experience for his fast paced practice. And before he could show me the door, I, I just stopped him and I said, just ask me anything that you can about ophthalmology. And that's what he did. And a few minutes later, I was hired as a scribe and I pretty much have been working my way through different types of challenging roles, but all rewarding roles ever since. Wow, that's 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 exciting to, to to hear how you got into the industry, and uh, you know I, I can only imagine, but it feels feels like you were already imagining yourself while you were talking to this person from the retail from the ophthalmic industry while you were in retail, uh, you know, already putting yourself in those shoes, experiencing it while you were not there, and 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 then of course when you got in there, you, you played your role really really well. Great. No. Great. Um, so I, th- I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad things worked out for you. And, uh, you know, in a way you sort of uh, looked at what you, you would be passionate about through a different lens and ultimately you got there. But your journey has been, uh, like you highlighted, it's not an easy one. Um, uh, you know, people don't want to hire you without prior experience. It's, it's of course, a very sensitive industry. Uh, so, of course, uh, no journey without experience and, and no journey is definitely easy. But but you've grown a lot uh, over the years and, and taken on a lot of new responsibilities. As far as I remember clearly, you know, uh, like you just mentioned, you started with a very, very, I would say, I would say with a very small role and, and then you've grown into a marketing director today. How did that happen? Uh, how did your journey really evolve into being a marketing director? Can you take us through that entire journey as to how your roles kept evolving? Um, how, how did you keep, you know, essentially jumping the ladder? You know, I, I'd love to do that. And like I said before, my my journey has been filled with many rewarding roles. Um, as I stated, I started off as a scribe uh, and I pretty much worked in just about every role within the realm of ophthalmology since, whether that be front office associate, ophthalmic technician, surgical tech, clinical manager, clinical director, uh, business development, op- operations, and now marketing. Um, I say that to say that there, I wouldn't say that there's a secret sauce to this. Um, for me, it was just being willing to learn uh, trying to face fears and challenges by tackling them head on. And I'm pretty sure you're probably wondering what I mean by that. And I'll kind of quote the president of my organization, Scott Bullock. Um, sure. He often says that people typically shy away from the things that they feel they have the least experience in. Um, From my perspective, I try to do the opposite from that. If I feel uncomfortable, I try to dive in and do a deep dive so that I can learn and grow through that challenge and change. And in doing so, I add on a new skill set that I probably would not have been possible if I hadn't tried. So during my career, I'll kind of point back to that first interview with that ophthalmic practice and that practice manager. I've pretty much taken that same approach that when I interviewed for that first job, if I don't know it, I realize I can always be taught. Got it. That's that's a very positive and different way of looking at things, Shay. And uh, I think I think to your point, right? Uh, 
there, there are always growth opportunities in chaos. And uh, if, if you're not looking, if you're not essentially up for learning and, and sort of continue learning, uh, then of course you will hit, um, you know, you will uh, hit a roof in terms of your growth itself. So, so I really like, you know, your approach and, and thinking about it very, very differently. I think it's a very non-conventional way of looking at things that if, if I don't have a degree in something or if I don't have a skill in something, doesn't mean I can't learn and essentially build a career in that. But having said that, you said that you took up a lot of different roles um, and, you know, you, you took up a lot of different activities. Uh, you kept uh, sort of challenging yourself. Uh, could we talk a little bit about exactly what's your role at ISAL Partners at, as, as one of the marketing directors? Of course. So I work within various aspects of marketing, um, but my main focus is business to business marketing. So business to business relationships. Um, I work with the practices that or the affiliate practices of our organization to build relationships with other uh, practices within their communities so that we can spread awareness of their providers, their practice and the service lines that they offer. Um, you know, at iSouth, we do this in many ways, but the majority of my role is creating the foundation for our practices to continue to promote uh, their best-in-class service offerings through exceptional patient care. Got it. Got it. And, and uh, do you sort of, uh, you know, work with a large team here? Do you, do you manage the team? Uh, is it you? Is it external partners? How, how does that look like? So, you know, what, what, I, what we typically do is, yes, we have an iSouth team, uh, and we also have a team at the practice level. Um, as you know, as an MSO or a management service, service organization, um, often we're already acquiring a practice that has a fully operable team. And my job is to come in and help support them in the areas that they might need growth. Um, so yes, we work to support those teams at the practice level. We also have a team at iSouth, but one thing that I always say is, uh, is, is and while you mentioned, I have worked in many different roles. I've worked with a lot of practices. Currently we're working with about 22 right now, but what I always tell these practices is that my experience doesn't matter because I've never worked with their practice. I'm not boots on the ground with their practice, their culture, their patients. And so that's why we cultivate relationships with the people who work at the practice level so that we can make sure that we support them in the best way off, way possible. Got it. Got it. So I think that's a, that's a very interesting role, right? Because in a way, and, and I think what, what you just highlighted is, is I think one of the basic principles of, of leadership that don't try to get your hands into things you may not know when you have a team for it, when you've hired specific people to solve those problems, let them solve it because they're on the grounds. And, and that's exactly what you spoke about that you're not on the grounds working with patients. And I think your, your role is to talk about uh, a great relationship building, identifying people, what they're good at and providing that support. And, and, and Amal, I think, I'm going to, if I could, I, I just want to jump in a little bit and say that I like to, you know, there, there's that pyramid model, right? Where people take a top-down approach where sure. decisions are made at, you know, some office at corporate. 
as someone who, and, and I believe that many of the people in your practice that are on your podcast have talked about this, as, as someone who has worked at the practice and has experienced uh, some of the challenges that come from decisions that are made by someone who's actually not boots on the ground, I typically like to turn that model on its head. Uh, that's the reason why we at iSouth, we really like to work with the practices and the people that are involved in the decisions that are being made. Because often when you work with them, you can create a better process. Uh, and every process, of course, is iterative. But when you work with the people who are actually going to be implementing the steps, it actually helps you to have a better approach and probably reduces the amount of changes that you're going to have to make long term. So that that's pretty much our iSouth model. Absolutely. I completely agree. And I think you've, you've um, identified a great model and, and, you know, really thought about it from a people lens. So, you know, kudos to you and the team for, for doing such a great job. And just a follow-up question around your role. You spoke about your role. You spoke about the way you think about leadership, mentoring teams, building relationships. Um, but, you know, all of this essentially, all of us together are working to provide great, great healthcare and great patient experience. Um, so would love to understand, you know, how I care businesses uh, how, how can they essentially ensure that there is operational excellence providing great patient experience, not just in terms of communication, right? You see, you see a lot of times uh, you have great systems for patient communication like recall, reminders, et cetera, which is great patient experience. But just apart from that, from an overall experience, from a clinical experience perspective, how the front desk essentially uh, uh, you know, has a conversation with the patient that's coming in, how do you ensure that that experience is also up to the mark. So I'm going to kind of, uh, I might ramble a little bit on this, but yeah. I'm glad you asked that. Um, you know, a lot of times when people think about the experience, they do, especially from an administrative perspective, they think about the recall reminders, they think about all of the things that they need to do to hopefully uh, re-engage the patients to get them back into the doors but they take it in a more tactical approach. The way I like to think about things is what would, a, would cause me to want to come back to a practice? And that's typically through the relationships that are built. That's typically through the customer service. Um, and as I, I try to change it a little bit, the patient service, you know, Right. Many people, they think that when a patient chooses to leave a practice, that they're doing so because they had a, big, a bad experience with a provider, um, when that often can, cannot be further from the case. Most patients choose to leave a practice because they have a ne negative experience with the other members of either the clinical right. team, or the administrative team. Um, and I highlight that because patients are spending probably 80 to 90% of their time with members of the clinical team or administrative team as opposed to the providers. And if their experience with those individuals is poor, then that often shapes their opinion of the practice. So I try to work with the practices to improve their patient experiences from the time of the first phone call that's being made to the time that a person is speaking to the billing representative because we have to ensure as 
administrators and providers that were providing optimal experience from the front lines to the back lines of the organization. Because if we don't, we're going to lose our patients to another practice who's willing to treat our patients the way they should be treated. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And I think that's a great insight, which, which is so easy to let go of, right? Because as a healthcare business, you're probably just focusing on providing healthcare, making sure how you can bring back people and patients. But I think you had had a very great insight here that it's, it's not just um, the doctor that they're spending most of the time with, but, but also others, right? Front desk, office managers, et cetera. Um, just a follow-up question here. You, you spoke about something very interesting. You said that, uh, you know, you, you think from first principles, from the journey, where it starts, which is essentially through a call. And then when they show up at the practice, uh, how exactly uh, have, have, have you, uh, you know, worked with the teams to ensure that they're providing great experience even on the calls? And, and the reason why I ask this is because time and again, when we read reviews on Yelp, on Google, one common trends keep coming out, right? Which is um, mm-hmm. sometimes there is a misunderstanding and, and patients write a review that the receptionist was rude, they didn't have an answer for me, so on and so forth. Is, is that a problem that you've tackled or come across? Well, you know, we at iSouth, we work with best-in-class organizations. And so typically, no, that's not necessarily a, a problem, but you always have one-offs, right? right. Um, for me, what I typically do whenever I'm about to start working with the practices, I do a lot of research. Uh, and from research, what I mean is I, I dive into those Yelp, Google, health grade reviews. I, I, I spend a lot of time looking back several years to find out um, what what's making the patients happy, what's making the patients frustrated. And as we all know, you're going to have one-offs from time to time where people are complaining about certain issues. And, you know, those complaints may not seem to be valid to the practice, but they're valid because they're valid to that patient. And so I spent a lot of time uh, basically researching that and then finding ways, whether it be from an operational perspective, typically it's operational, to address the concerns of the patients. On top of that, I, I do a lot of audits. And what I mean by that is, you know, I like to myself call practices and see exactly what the experience is going to be if I were a patient. If I were going to uh, schedule an appointment, I know you do a lot of dentistry, but say I'm a patient who is calling for a LASIK evaluation or I'm calling for something like that, I want to see, number one, um, how long does it take for you to pick up the phone to answer my call? Uh, How long, you know, was the person welcoming and inviting when they spoke to me? You know, did they tell me their name? Did they, you know, did they repeat my name? Did they ask me how my day was? You know, did they build that rapport? And ultimately, did I leave with what I called the practice for? Did, did I feel happy? And, and, you know, you gauge those things and you gauge those things, not only from the front end of the conversation, but you also do it throughout the entire process. What was my process like when I walked into the door? What was my process like when I received a bill? And you address any areas that come through any stage of that process. 
Um, thankfully, at iSouth, we have many leaders who focus on these areas and uh, can actually really work with the practice staff to make sure that we're providing this optimal service. But those are just a few uh, examples of what we would do. Got it. Got it. And that's a very objective example uh, and, and an objective way of putting it out there that, you know, especially when you spoke about this, that uh, when, when, when I call them, how long did they take to answer the call? Were they welcoming? Did they take my name? Did they tell their name? These are some objective, subtle, small things, which make a very, very big difference overall to the patient experience, I feel. And, and I think that's all you got to do, right? And uh, if, if you just focus on these small things, at least uh, you would have a great patient experience. And, and that patient experience, you know, everyone focuses on, um, you know, like you said, recalls and reactivations and getting out into the community. But let's focus on the foundation for the right. patient that we have. Are we keeping them happy? Are we retaining them? And if not, what can we do to change that narrative? Um, and, and thankfully, like I stated, I work with a lot of practices that their patients, all of our practices, the patients are the forefront of everything that they do. And so they're they're kind of, they, they spend their days ensuring that they meet their patients' needs and their goals. But I, I will say this, um, to answer your question, you know, focusing on the foundation is very helpful. And once you focus on the foundation, that helps you to retain and build your practice and your network. Got it. Got it. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And and I think a lot of our audience can also learn from the way you've uh, put it and, and that, you know, there's so much uh, content there about uh, communication, but, but you also got to focus on your foundation to make sure that the patient experience is great. Great. Um, uh, just a follow-up question. And, 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 and I know we've spoken so much about relationship building and, and its importance, um, but would love to understand uh, you know, what's the importance if you could give us, you know, one or two objective examples of where you've seen relationship building really work and, and what you've seen as the advantages or, or, you know, the upside of having great relationships. Yes, like you said, Emil, I, I've, I've spoken a lot about our patients and building relationships with them um, because they're our top priority. But it is very important for a growing practice to keep that same level of rapport between the physicians that refer and also non-referring physicians within the community. Um, you know, relationship building, I'm going to say it again, is how you grow medical practices. And I tell our practices that it's important to create awareness, brand awareness of the service lines that they offer um, within the people in their referral community, but also keeping them up to speed about the new service offerings that a practice might have and how that will benefit the mutual patients. Um, another thing that we like to do is make sure that our our providers are thought of as subject matter experts or thought leaders in the subspecialty that they oversee. Um, that becomes very vital in the building of rapport. And again, I'll say it, all of these things help to grow the practice, whether that be through continuing education meetings, through newsletters, uh, through different levels of outreach, just, you know, being available in the community is a vital tool to be able to grow your network. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And and you know, it it sort of reminds me what what you just told me. It reminds me of the first the very first podcast that we did. Um, uh, the the leader that we hosted also had very similar thoughts to yours. And I, I remember a very uh, simple, uh, uh, you know, strategy he shared with us. And, and he said that, you know, relationship building is part of our culture. Everybody in the team is trained to build uh, relationships and, and it's, it's part of their job, right? It's, um, and, and that's, that's essentially how we look at ourselves. It's, it's less about automatic communication, uh, being good at operations, et cetera. Uh, more about building relationships and and that's essentially how we look at our culture so i think uh, to your point a lot of other practices are also thinking about this way which is which is i think a great way of building the building a healthcare business because it's a very sensitive thing and in the end of the day you got to trust the person who you're going to uh, go to for your healthcare needs I fully agree. It's 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 all about again being an expert in the in in the field in which you're delivering care, um, and also like you said, building that rapport. Because if a provider is going to refer to you, they need to be able to trust that you are going to provide that ultimate level of service to their patients. And so, making sure that you all have proper communication between the two parties is very imperative in making sure that the the referral relationship is maintained and that the patients are happy because of course that's a top priority. Absolutely. Completely agree with you. And, and hopefully more and more people will sort of adopt this way of functioning and, and, you know, push the industry forward, moving, moving ahead. And, uh, uh, Shay, since, since your role is so much about relationship building and it's, and it's more focused towards B2B and, and the more we see that today, most group practices are looking to add more and more providers, more locations. Uh, part of the reason is that they want to, you know, contribute better to healthcare, be able to treat more patients. Uh, what sort of support, if you can highlight, can can practices expect, you know, while while they uh, partner with ISAUT partners, and and what benefits can they expect? And and a follow up just to that, uh, was there a change in the behavior during COVID? Were more practices more keen to you know partner with groups like ISAUT? So um, I'll start. So with the first question, if you partner with iSouth, I'll speak for iSouth, um, sure. you know, the practices can expect to not only receive front end support, which is a lot of what we've been talking about, but also back end support. Um, our practices expect to work with and they work with many individuals who all share one common goal. And that goal is to provide support to their organizations. And, you know, you're speaking to me today, but I'm one of many people within our organization which share a passion for improving business processes and creating an optimal patient experience and ultimately driving brand awareness for the, the organizations that we serve. In uh, partnering with South, um, our practices are able to work with a team of people driven to support in areas like, you know, procurement, clinical, surgical, revenue cycle management, finance, IT, marketing, compliance, accounts payable. Um, you know, we have a team of 
resourceful individuals who are asking about COVID and, you know, what has changed and are more practices getting interested. Um, I'll, I'll say that with our organization prior to COVID, we had a lot of interest. Um, but I will say that since COVID, interest has definitely peaked and, and, and spiked um, because I, I believe that many practices have realized that they need more support to tackle the right. issues that healthcare organizations are facing. Um, you know, take for instance, right now you talk about different drivers within healthcare. One of the value drivers is going to be, you know, procurement. And think about that from the perspective of this pandemic. Uh, during this pandemic, you know, a lot of smaller organizations had difficulty procuring things like PPE, things that are much needed resources in this climate. And uh, it during this climate, it was already hard for small organizations in terms of, you know, the, the teams that they had to be able to not only see patients, but then have to also focus on finding bandwidth to, to acquire things like PPE, finding the bandwidth to understand how to deal with HR and compliance processes during a time of a pandemic. And because of that, I do feel that many organizations are looking for uh, an MSO like iSouth to be able to partner with because we provide that back-end support so that our practices can focus on what matters most, and that's the patients. Got it. Got it. Yep, I would completely agree with you, and that's, that's a trend that we've seen time and again. Um, you know, the, the MSOs, the DSOs, highlight and talk about. And, and I think uh, COVID has been a litmus test of, of uh, this, uh, you know, of this theory that they do need more support. And of course, I'm, I'm glad that practices are realizing and looking at the positive side of, of the partnership. And, and, and you know, uh, just a follow-up question to the partnership itself, to the model itself, we, we spoke about what are the benefits they would get. And, and I think the benefits are, um, you know, even more evident post COVID. But, uh, you know, a lot of times when we speak to private practices and we ask them, uh, you know, what are the questions in their minds before actually partnering with uh, groups like iSouth, uh, they, they want to, they have a lot of different questions, right? So, so one of the questions that typically practices have is, uh, can they continue to exist and operate as a local brand or do they have to get rebranded uh, in, in name of the partner that they're partnering with? Uh, what's iSouth's approach there and, and what's really the reasoning behind uh, either of the two approaches that you take? Again, that, that's a great question. So um, speaking for iSouth, we, we're very selective about the practices that we choose to partner with. Um, we work with providers that are, are industry leaders and their practices are the same. And so in doing so, we don't find that there's really a need to rebrand their practice because we're working with offices that are established in their communities. Um, you know, th there's not really a need to rebrand when you're working for an office that's cultivated a culture um, that their patients, you know, have grown to know and love. And also that the referral community understands and loves. So uh, to answer your question, no, it, it's not really about 
coming on board and, and branding them as high south. It, it's really about maintaining the level of service that they've that their patients have grown to love, but providing the support on the back end so that the providers, the clinical teams, and the you know, administrative staff can work on and focus on the things that matter most. And again, I'm, I'm just going to kind of repeat what I've said, which is making sure that they're taking care of their patients. Got it. Got it. And, and I think that that goes back to your point that you initially highlighted, right? That, that we work with very selective partners. You do your own research by reading their reviews. And, and you know, when you've picked the right partner, when you've picked the, the practice that has already been doing such a great job, um, I think that the question really arises, why should we rebrand it? Because they're already a local brand that patients have built a relationship with, right? And, and, and it goes back to that relationship. They have a relationship with the brand. Um, why do you want to rebrand it and, and change things and, and sort of create confusion between the patients? Yeah, there, there's no reason to change the secret sauce, right? Um, there, there, there's no reason from someone who is in another state or another area of the business to try to tell a practice, um, you know, well, this name or this logo or this should be uh, this should be changed. No, if that's been working for the practice, and also also ultimately. Um, it, it drew our attention to them. Why would we change that for their community? So, so in short, no, we, we, we typically keep the, the, the culture. It, what actually changes is the level of support that they receive from us on the back end. Got it. Got it. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And in the end of the day, it's a local business. You're building a local brand. And, and I think it should continue to operate the way it is. Um, just a follow-up question on relationship building, since it is so important, we've spoken so much about it. Um, you know, during COVID, everything has gone virtual and we, are, we live in a digital world today. But at the end of the day, we are an operations-first offline business where patients have to come to us to get the treatment. Um, how do you think, uh, you know, businesses like ours, which is healthcare businesses, can build better relationships in a virtual world? You know, when when especially when providers are completely busy during the day with patients and, and especially because of COVID, what has happened? Well, I'm going to take this from a building relationships from a business to business perspective. Sure. Um, like you stated, the pandemic has helped us to really do a deeper dive into a world that was already digitally or virtually leaning. Um, the current climate <laughs> has created many obstacles as well as opportunities for businesses and practices. And I'll also say that we as providers and leaders of industries need to be authentic and realizing that everyone is facing many of the same struggles that we're facing during this period. So as organizations, we need to connect with people on these shared experiences and use the experiences to help each other by sharing knowledge, resources, and tools. Um, in doing so, we're all able to build more meaningful and lasting relationships regardless of the space that's being used to share. So regardless of whether or not, you know, Animal, we're meeting on this virtual platform and Zoom, we're still sharing and building rapport and uh, building a, a, a relationship, not only between you and I, but with your listeners. Um, I'll, I'll also say another thing. Um, 
I recently learned something from a college professor. Um, her name's Donna Peters, and she just happens to be the host of a podcast kind of similar to yours, but it's called the Me Suite. So instead of the C Suite, it's the Me Suite. And she taught me that one of the most flattering things that you can do for someone is to ask them for help because it shows that you trust and respect their insight. And I say that to say that we shouldn't shy away from helping our colleagues or others in the industry during this climate because this act can actually and likely lead to building the foundation of a meaningful relationship down the line. So again, no matter how we're choosing to connect, whether it be virtually via Zoom, via phone call, um, it's more about the content, the quality of the relationship and what we're bringing to the table. And that's what's going to last. Got it. No, that's, that's an excellent point that you make. And, and, you know, I, I would agree. I think um, you've got to keep asking for help and, and you've got to keep giving it back, keep giving back to the community. That's the only way we can keep pushing the community and the industry forward. So, so I think I really like your thought around that. And of course, Donna's thoughts around that. Um, Shay, this has been such a, you know, such a humbling conversation. There's, there's so much that I have personally learned. I'm, I'm very confident that, that the audience also is going to learn a lot from this conversation. Um, but uh, just as, as a last question, rather last two questions for you, not really questions, but yeah, would, would love to understand, are there any final thoughts for the audience? And, and if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best place to reach out? And as you know, we want to keep this as an evergreen initiative. Uh, we would love to know if you would like to refer anybody who we can host on the podcast, who you look up to. Of course. So first and foremost, uh, again, just a thank you to you and your listeners. Uh, I, I thoroughly, I, I should say this, and I think I kind of mentioned this before. I, I've listened to many of your podcasts and I have enjoyed learning uh, by listening to this podcast. Uh, you know, there there have been many individuals like myself that you've spotlighted. Um, there were there's one who I think I think the title was she went from CEO or she went from front office to COO. Um, another individual who went from front office to uh, director of operations. And uh, I just can't stress enough how much I appreciate this, you know, this podcast that you've cultivated where you've kind of been able to pretty much introduce people to like-minded individuals so that we can create an atmosphere of learning and growth. So again, thank you and kudos to you for doing that. Um, in terms of how people can reach out to me, my email address is Shay, spelled S as in Sam, H-A-I dot Oliver at isouthpartners.com. Please feel free to email me. Uh, I, I do practice what I preach and I, I'd love to learn and, and share from each of your listeners. And as an aside, um, who would I recommend? There's so many people within my organization, whether it be the president that I mentioned of my organization, Scott Bullock, to my senior director of marketing, Elizabeth Culver, or my uh, VP of HR, uh, Rebecca Schonaber, who could bring a lot of knowledge and insight uh, from an HR perspective. But um, I'll definitely... Uh, introduce you to each of them and hopefully they'll join the podcast as well. Great. Uh, Shev, you know, the pleasure is all mine. I've, I've, I've learned so much from you 
and and I really enjoy you know sort of hosting. Um, it, it started, to be honest, it started as an initiative in the in the company, but it's it's become more of a passion to learn people's stories, journeys, and and understand what they went through, right? And I think if in any simple way or in any small way we can contribute to the industry to make sure that graduates from college understand that there is so much there's so much opportunity to grow. Uh, I think I would have played my part. Um, so yep, I, at the same time, I, I do appreciate you taking up the time and, and for recommending um, the leaders. Uh, I'd, I'd look forward to getting introduced to them. Uh, thanks a lot for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Again, and while the pleasure was all mine, I appreciate you, the time. And uh, again, thank you to your listeners. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to another episode of Emitter's Podcast. Want to learn how you can reduce your new patient missed calls and grow your practice by 40% today? Take a look at emitrr.com.